Begin our study this morning, I want to remind you, as we're in Genesis chapter 30, that we've already read 24 verses of this passage where um, the family of Jacob has grown significantly. And if you'll remember, uh, we see there that that in Genesis 30, and really the ending part of chapter 29, his family grows significantly um, from one to like, or from zero to like thirteen, um, and and I have there for you. And my wife said I need to sing this. Uh, the title of the message is "It's a Family Division." So while we've seen his family grow, we're going to see it divide, and in some cases, division is actually a blessing. Um, as a matter of fact, if you read in Genesis where Adam is had his wife brought to him, it actually says there, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Or in Jacob's case, unfortunately, he's going to cleave to his wives. Uh, But that said, here we have a family division uh, that I believe is actually ordained by God. And we'll see that because God will say, hey, it's time to go home. It's time to go back to the land that I promised to give you. And so in verse 1 through 24 of Genesis chapter 30, last week we looked at the building of Jacob's family. And it is quite the building experience. But as I was reading about this, uh, Warren Wearsby wrote this. He said, in this section of scripture, we saw Jacob experiencing the pain that people feel when they are being manipulated by others. And if you look at the wives and the servants of the wives that become mothers of Jacob's children, what you see is that over and over they're manipulating Jacob and getting him to do their will. But in that, we also see that the plan of God unfolds. And we're going to have these 12 sons that will primarily be the, the 12 tribes of Israel by name. And then Jacob has two wives that are direct uh, descendants of Laban, two servants that become uh, servant mothers and wives. So we have Leah and we have Rachel. Uh, Leah's servant was, I believe, Zilpah, and uh, the other was, I think, Bilhah. Um, But Leah is primarily known, if you want to look at it through the glass half full, um, you look at her and what sums up her life is that though she was the first wife of Jacob, and you'll remember the circumstances that be, she, she wasn't the chosen one of Jacob. Jacob didn't choose her to be his first wife, but through Laban deceiving him, Leah becomes his first wife. And therefore, in those circumstances, she has all kinds of children, but she's unloved. Jacob does not love her as much as he loves Rachel. And At the same time, what I want to point out is that though Leah is unloved by her husband, uh, the Messiah will come through the line of her son Judah. So even though she's unloved, she is loved deeply by her father. And actually, he fulfills his promises to Jacob through Leah, his first wife. And then there's Rachel. And you might look at the circumstances we read about last week, and Rachel might look at her own life through the glass half full and say, wow, I only had two sons. And if you remember, she's been barren all throughout, and she names her, her first son, she names him Joseph. But Joseph means increasing. In other words, uh, I believe I'm going to have another son. 
So even in one son, after having zero and all these other women able to have children by her husband, she's mourning and then she has a son and yet that one son is still not enough. She still wants another. Um, She's not content with what God provides and so she names Joseph increasing, which is interesting because it means I shall have another son. And she does. She gets the desire of her heart, but what I want to point out is this second son that she's just hopeful for, she actually dies in giving birth to Benjamin. She actually goes to name him Ben-Onai, son of my sorrow. And after she passes, her husband vetoes that and names him Benjamin, which means son of my strength. And so Here we have these two women, one unloved, the other one might say, I only have two sons, and yet what we see is that the Messiah comes through her son Judah for Leah, and then Joseph, most of the end of the book of Genesis is about Joseph's life and how he, through a whole whole bunch of horrible circumstances, unfair circumstances even, he ends up being, in in a way, a savior for his entire nation, he saves the whole family from destruction in Egypt. And so no matter what the circumstances are, we oftentimes look at our current ones and we go, man, my life sucks. But the reality is, is that God works together with all things for the good of those who are called of him and who love him for his purpose. And so Rachel and Leah... So in verse 25 through 43 of Jacob, uh, his building his house, the, the building of Jacob's fortune. So we, we looked at the multiplication of his family, and now God's going to provide for them uh, financially. And so as we look at this in verse 25 through 43, uh, let's go ahead and read those verses. It says, It came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. He's ready to go home. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go. For you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay. Now, if you know the history of Laban and Jacob, uh, Laban's going to have a hard sell to get Jacob to want to stay. He was a what I would call uh, the cliche father-in-law. He was not a blessing. Now, many of you have wonderful father-in-laws and be thankful for that. But in this case, Jacob did not. And it says there, Laban said to him, please stay. If I have found favor or grace in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Laban's looking at the increase of his flocks and his wealth And now he's got grandchildren, and he's going, you know, I I didn't have much before you got here, Jacob. I'm recognizing, even though I'm a schemer, he noticed that because you're here, I'm blessed. So Jacob has been blessed by God through the descendants of Abraham and then Isaac. He's received the, the blessing of God on his life. And because of that, he's naturally a blessing to those even that he works for. He's a blessing even to a man that he probably dislikes very much. And so it goes to show that Jacob is changing. We see him at the very beginning. He, he was a schemer. He stole his brother's birthright. He lied to his father and stole the blessing. And then we see 
he goes through this wilderness experience. God reveals to him this, this vision of the ladder. Remember Jacob's ladder just a few chapters ago. And God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless, those, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And I'm going to be with you. Wherever you go, I'll be with you and I will prosper you. And I'm going to bring you back to this land that you're leaving right now. And so as we see this testimony of Laban, Laban's testifying, I may not like you very much. I may not like the fact that you took my daughters. Uh, but what I do notice is that because you're here, I'm blessed. I've been blessed because you're present and because of your work ethic and because your God has blessed you. And so he says, I noticed, I've learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. I wonder how many of us, if we heard our bosses talking about us later when we're not around, would be able to have that testimony about us. Perhaps they would be blessed. Perhaps their businesses would be blessed by how we serve Jesus in our jobs as we serve our masters, our bosses. Perhaps because of our presence in a business or in a classroom or in in a department or whatever you do, uh, people would be able to say, man, our business has grown. And I noticed that it's 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 been ever since you've gotten here. And then you'd be able to testify uh, it's because of the Lord. And Colossians says, do everything that you do unto the Lord, not as unto man. Because when man's not watching, if you're doing it to please your earthly boss, you won't do all the same stuff you'd do if they were there. And bosses need people that when they work at their place of business, they can trust even when they go on vacation. And that's rare. And so if your boss is blessed because of the way that you serve with integrity and you serve with excellence and you give 110% knowing that what you do is seen by God and it's not in vain, guess what? Your boss is going to be one. They can't help it. They're going to notice a difference in your work ethic. And so Jacob here, though he's still a schemer, uh, there's fruit in his life that he's a servant of the Most High God. So verse 28, Laban says to Jacob, name me your wages and I will give it. How many of us would love that? Uh, How much is it going to take to keep you? Is basically what he's saying. Write your own paycheck. Uh, Most of us will never hear that. Bosses don't say that. Um, But Jacob said to him, verse 29, You know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? So far, my earnings have gone all into your pocket, Laban. I want to leave and go home. I got no money. And I don't want an allowance. I need PAID. I need a paycheck. I need some benefits here. You're going to have to do something. So he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. I don't want you to give me any. I don't need your handout is what Jacob's saying. I'm going to earn my keep. I'm going to continue to be faithful. I've served you for this many years but now I need something for my own house. Um, And so he says, uh, I don't want you to give me anything. We don't give God money. It was already his. Uh, We release it. We give it back. Uh, But it's all his in the first. We don't pay God. 
here Jacob's saying, I don't, I don't want you to pay me anything. I want you to give me what I'm due for my wages. And so he says, if you do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. I'll do what I was doing before, but now if you'll pay me, that'd be great. He says, uh, let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and the speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. This is a wonderful deal for Laban because the spotted and the speckled goats were like recessive traits. They weren't actually common. A a brown sheep, you've heard the phrase, I'm the black sheep of the family. The point is, I'm singled out. I'm different than all the other ones. I'm not the common one. And so brown sheep were uncommon. That was a recessive trait. So basically, he's making a deal that Laban can't refuse because Laban's going, this is a fool's deal. Why would you? Okay, sounds great. I'd love to pay you very little for your, for your work. I'd love to get all of the increase and you get hardly any. Who wouldn't take that as a boss? So why is he making this deal? So notice this. He says, that it were according to your word. I, I love the deal, Jacob. So verse 35, he removed that day, this is Laban, the goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hands of his sons. And then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. So essentially, here's what he did. He said, that's fine. That sounds wonderful. I'm going to take all the males that have all the recessive traits out of your flock. And he sent them with Laban's sons three days journey so they could not mate together. So not only is he saying, yep, you can have all the recessive traits, but he's saying, I'm going to take the possibility of you having any wages from you three days. He, he's cheating him out of, out of his own uh, wages. And so Laban is treating Jacob much like Jacob used to treat people. He's still getting treated in a way that he used to treat others. But notice this, verse 37. He says, Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them, and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. And then Jacob separated the lambs, made the flocks face toward the street, and all the brown in the flock of Laban, but he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. So what's interesting is, is that he's, he's not putting his sheep and his goats with Laban's flock to try to get the males with the recessive traits. It, it's kind of a schemer doing scheming, and, it, and it's weird. So it's, it's kind of hard to understand But from verse 37 through verse 40, essentially what Jacob is doing is he was doing the common practice of the day. 
if they wanted to get a certain kind of lamb or goat, there was old wives' tales, you might say. And so here's how you get streaked ones. You strip the bark out of, off of a tree, you hang it from a tree this many feet off the ground, and then the almanac says that this is the kind of goats you'll get. And so that was the common knowledge of anybody that was doing shepherding. They were kind of superstitious. But what I want to point out to you is that Jacob is essentially doing what my kids do with me when I tell them we're going to go work in the yard. We're going to go out and split wood, right? So we go out to the back lot right next to our redneck chicken farm. And we get out the big, huge pieces of wood and we start up the borrowed wood splitter. And then we start it up and we start lifting wood and we put it on there. We split it and I throw it on the ground and then the kids are going to stack it. Except here's the problem. The kids are full-fledged. We're helping. We did it. And yet most of the wood gets moved by me because they move about three or four pieces and they're like, I want to go play. But at the end of the deal, they were willing to work. They did work. And when it all got done, who did it? Did they do it or did we do it? Well, of course, they're going to say, we did it. Look what we did. And I'm going to go, yes, son. Yes, daughter, we did it. And most of the time, here's what happens. God says he's going to do something. And those of us that trust him by faith, God's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we go, God, I'm going to help you. I'm going to work with you. Me and God, here we go. And then he goes, yep, we did it. But who really did it? He did. And so what I want to point out here is that Jacob is a willing vessel. And Jacob's doing what he knows to do because God gave him a vision in Genesis chapter 31 that when he gave this deal to Laban, it was going to be God that gave him the increase. It had nothing to do with the right male lambs and sheep getting in with his fold and mating with them and producing his wages. It all had to do with God working out the genetics. Guess who invented genetics? God did. Guess who can move around molecules and do the miraculous? God can. Guess who can make all of your sheep produce recessive traits every time? God can. And so what Laban's going to get a taste of is, you can do what you want, but if God is for me, then nobody can be against me. And so we try to work out what we know. And I think that God calls us to trust him. And I think that God calls us to do something. I've heard the phrase, let go and let God, and that's fully true. But do your best and trust God with the rest is also equally true. And so what Jacob is doing here is he's trusting God and he's moving forward. He's involved in the process, and I believe that God blesses it, even though there's superstition involved. And so in verse 41, it says, It came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters or the troughs that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. So Jacob did what he knew to do, trusting God. It was a step of faith. And then God gave the increase. And so why did he do this? Well, let's fast forward just slightly to chapter 31, 
in verse 10. Jacob had already received a vision from the Lord. Now, we don't have that in the scripture before chapter 30, but then in chapter 31, as he's speaking to his wives, he tells them why he asked for the wages that he did. And in verse 10, it says, It happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the ram's head which leaped upon the flocks were streaked. I like that word, leaped. It's way less PG-13. Um, it says the, 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 the rams that leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. And the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, Here I am. By the way, when God says your name, when, when they respond with, here I am, they're saying, here I am, my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. Here's me. I'm your willing servant. Speak to me what you want me to do. Uh, if you remember in uh, 1 Samuel in chapter 1, Samuel's been given to Eli as a helper in the tabernacle. And he starts hearing a voice in the middle of the night. And so he wakes up and he thinks Eli's calling for him, Samuel. So Eli gets up, he walks into Samuel's room where Samuel's sleeping. He goes, what do you want, master? He goes, I didn't say your name, go back to bed. And this happens like three or four times. And on the fourth time, Eli finally figures out, oh, the Lord must be speaking to Samuel. So then he teaches him, hey, it's not me saying your name. Apparently the Lord's trying to get your attention. So when he says your name this next time, because he will, I want you to respond this way. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Here am I. Here I am. Here's all of me. What do you want me to do, Lord? See, Jesus came to be our Savior, but he, he cannot be your Savior without being first your Lord. And so Lord means master, it means I'm indebted to you. I will do what you ask. I'm a infantryman in your service. You're my commanding officer. What you say goes. And so Jacob responded in this dream and said, here I am. And verse 12 says, and he said, lift your eyes. Lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled and gray spotted. For I've seen all that, is Laban, that Laban is doing to you. If someone in your life is doing things that are unfair, God sees it. Nobody gets away with nothing. God's going to take care of you if you're his. So here he says, I've seen what Laban's doing to you. But then he repeats what he told him back at Bethel when he had the dream of his ladder. He says, I am the God of Bethel. I'm the God who spoke to you in that vision where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. He says, now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. He's reminding him, I, I'm the one that called you, Jacob. I'm the one that called you, you cheap shot artist. I'm redeeming your life. And though people are treating you unfairly, I, I'm still going to fulfill my promise. I've increased your flocks. I've increased your family. It's time to come home. And so all that to say, that's why he accepted these wages. And so here's a practical aspect for you and I. How do we know when it's time to move on? Maybe some of you find yourselves in a transitionary period in your life. 
and you're going, how do I know if it's time to move to a different place? Or how do I know if it's time to move to a different job? Or how do I know if I need to let go of this thing that I've been dwelling on for so long? And I would point out from this passage in chapter 30, verse 25, It says there, it came to pass when Rachel had borne Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place, to my own country. There will be a desire in your heart to move on. Uh, Now, sometimes our desires can get us in trouble. So if there's just a desire to move on and it doesn't have any of these other things, be careful. He had a desire and it turns out it was from God to go back home. He was trusting that God's direction was from the beginning, not to stay in the land of Paddan Aram, but to go back home to Bethel. And then in chapter 31, verse 1 through 2, there were uncomfortable circumstances. Laban and his sons started to look upon Jacob with contempt. It was no longer a safe place. He didn't have favor with his own family. So uncomfortable circumstances. And then verse 3, divine direction. Jacob received direction from the Lord to leave. Not from anybody else, but from the Lord. He received a word. Move on. But I also want to point out that anytime you receive a word from the Lord, or you think you might be hearing from the Lord, always test it. Does it agree with what God has already shown you in his written word? And then number four, chapter 31, verse 14 through 16, there was unity within the brethren. Now, in this case, Jacob goes, and we're going to read here, he goes and talks to his wives. Um, And I guess I need to go ahead and read that part of the passage. Chapter 31, now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban. And indeed, it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers, to your family, and I will be with you. So there's that divine direction. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock, and said to them, he gets out of town, he says, we need to have a little powwow here. I'm getting ready to make a big decision, family meeting. So in the family meeting, he says, I see your father's countenance, that it's not favorable towards me as before. But the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. Tell you what, if you want to know you're being faithful at your job and you have integrity, ask your wife. She'll be honest. She'll be the litmus test because she knows you when no one else is looking. When you're having your weak moments, you're throwing your little hissy fit. Trust me, I know. Not that I've ever done that. He says, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and he's basically given them to me. He's not boasting. He's just saying, here's the facts. Here's the statistics. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and I saw in a dream. And then he recounts this dream that he had. 
And so he's seeing, as we sang earlier, the evidence of God's faithfulness, and he's recounting it to his wives. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if you try to convince your your spouse that their family is not the greatest, sometimes it's the worst conversation to have because they've been with them typically longer than they've been with your stinking carcass. They, They care more about their family because that's who raised them. But here's the deal. They respond after this favorably. There's unity within their weird household, which is miraculous in and of itself. When there's unity between a spouse and, and another spouse, that's a sign of the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so in this case, verse 14 after he tells them about the vision and the, the practical nature and the increase of the flock and how God protected them, even though his wages were changed so many times. Verse 14 says, Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our Father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, let's do it. And I tell you what, there's power when a husband will seek the will of the Lord even above his own and try to lead his family in Jesus. There is no more powerful witness than that. And no doubt, for some of us, we have wives that are way more godly than us. But that doesn't mean that God's not called the husband to lead spiritually in the house. And when he leads, though the wife will do a wonderful job, many many godly women have led their households and their children are still walking with the Lord. But when the father does it, the statistics prove that it is way more likely that the next generation will continue to follow and serve Jesus with their whole lives. And so men... This is my exhortation. Take it very seriously. We will be accountable with how we steward our households. Get to work. Because at the end of the age, when we see Jesus face to face, if we have provided financially, but never fed our family spiritually, there will be hell to pay. There will be a reckoning. And God holds us more accountable than our wives. Our wives are called to submit to us as unto the Lord. So if we will lead in godliness, there are great rewards. You may not have the biggest house. You may not have the side-by-side. You may not, whatever the thing is that you're like beating yourself to death at work for overtime for, you may not have that. But when your household is following Jesus, he's going to take care of all that anyway. And whatever you need, you'll have it. Trust me. This last two years has proved to me that if I will just trust Jesus and don't stress out about all the things that I think that I need to do, he will be above and beyond faithful. And it may not look like you thought. And so all that to say, they agree with him and they basically say, whatever the Lord's leading you to do, we will submit to that. And that will be tested. So then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained. He acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear the sheep 
And Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and he crossed the river and he headed toward the mountains of Gilead. So he's doing the right thing, but perhaps he's not doing it the right way. So Jacob leaves while Laban is away. Rachel steals her father's gods before they leave. By the way, side note, if your gods can be stolen from you, perhaps they're not gods. Uh, if, if, they're not, if they're light enough to carry away, they can be stowed away and hidden. Uh, but Jacob leaves without saying goodbye to Laban. We'll find out why here in a little bit. And then we'll find out that Laban finds out three days later that they left, and he's a little bit furious. Verse 22, And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey. And he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream by night, and said to him, Be careful, Laban, that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. Careful what you say to this man. He's mine. And so Laban finds out three days later, he pursues for seven days furiously to catch up. But while traveling, the Lord warns Laban to be careful about how he speaks to Jacob. The Lord is for Jacob, so who can be against him? Still, he's, wherever he goes, God's taking care of him. So turn with me to Psalm chapter 25. It's a beautiful psalm that speaks perhaps very closely to this same circumstance, but it's in the life of David. So David writes, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who awaits who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth. Perhaps Jacob could pray this same thing. Nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble, he guides in justice. And the humble, he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. In other words, out of the trap, he will keep me safe. Turn yourself to me, have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. 
The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I have put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of their troubles. And so this is a prayer. And many times when we're pursued by those who hate us, even as believers, it causes us hopefully to inspect our own hearts and go, have I trusted in my flesh? Do I have hidden sin within me? Is that why God's letting my enemies pursue me? And so Jacob, as he's being pursued, perhaps he would pray, say, Lord, deliver me from my enemies. So Laban is furious. Verse 25, Laban overtook Jacob. And Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains. And Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me? By the way, he had already warned Jacob or Laban that he was ready to go. I'd like to leave. Well, how much do I need to pay you? He still wants to leave. And so it says there, you've stolen away from me unknown and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword, as if he forced them away. Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you with joy and songs and with timbrel and harp. Probably not. Just an assumption. Probably Jacob was like, hey, I wonder if he's going to send me away with a party. Don't you think that if he thought there'd be a party, he'd stick around? And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you've done foolishly in so doing. Don't you know it's in my power to do you harm? (laughs) But the God of your father spoke to me. (laughs) I could have harmed you. I could have taken you out. Uh, But God told me not to. So I'm not going to. He spoke to me the other night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. Or the literal translation says, do not speak to Jacob from good to bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Now this would be news to Jacob because he didn't know that anyone had stolen his gods. But Jacob, feeling pretty emboldened by the fact that he didn't do it, answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. So there's the source. I I left. I knew God called me to go away, but I didn't want to say goodbye because I thought you would forcibly take my wives away from me. And I can't take care of this many kids without my wives. (laughs) Maybe I inserted that, but that's probably on his mind. Like, I can't, there's no way I can raise this crazy brood. Um, <clears throat> he says, with whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. Wow. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So you left without saying you were going. You stole my daughters like you had a sword at their back, essentially by gunpoint. I could have sent you off with a party I didn't get to say goodbye. That's legit, right? 
Perhaps he should have given him an opportunity to say goodbye. He did so well serving Laban all these years. The hard part is many times when you serve a boss that you're not a really big fan of, it's harder to end well than it is to go well throughout that experience. Ending well is what they remember. I could harm you, but God warned me that I ought not. Oh yeah, and why did you steal my gods? And so Jacob answers, and then notice this, he finally confronts Laban. I think there was some hidden bitterness in Jacob's relationship with his father-in-law and his boss. And perhaps a lot of this could have been dealt with if Jacob would have been a little bit more talking to Laban like, hey, I'd like to get paid. And hey, I, I wish you wouldn't change my wages every other month. And hey, could I get some vacation time? And rather than being bitter and silent, perhaps before he got angry, he could have spoken and been open and honest with Laban, and some of this could have been avoided. That's just my devotional thought for this passage. But uh, many times we get mad because our bosses don't treat us the way we want them to, and yet we also don't give them the benefit of knowing how we feel. Uh, bosses have a lot of employees, and many times it's not that they're not thinking of you, it's just that they're thinking of everybody, and therefore they don't know what anybody's thinking. They're trying to do what's good for the broad spectrum, and sometimes you've got to give them a little bit of feedback and go, hey, I wish you wouldn't speak to me this way in front of people. Or, hey, uh, I wish that I had the same benefits as these other people that, you know, or whatever. We have to be open and honest with people. We cannot expect them to know what our thoughts are. My own spouse does not, and she doesn't know mine, and I don't know hers. We have to communicate, and if we don't communicate, it builds up walls that we don't even know are there. And so, verse 32, Laban went into Jacob's tent and into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Uh Uh-oh. Now Rachel had taken his household idols put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And that's King James for it's my time of the month. So she's kind of a schemer too, right? And he searched, but did not find the household idols. And then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that I have so hotly pursued you? You have so hotly pursued me. Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. These 20 years, and now it comes out. Now all of this undealt with baggage comes out. Probably not with the attitude it could have several years back. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young. I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts, I did not bring it to you. I bore the loss myself. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day, the drought consumed me, the frost by night, my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. He's a shepherd. 
He was always with the flock, probably more than his own family. Does that sound like some of our jobs? I'm giving of my own personal time. No doubt I'm getting paid, but I'm giving it my all is what he's saying. I've served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. That's what the world always does, by the way. That's what sin does. That's what Satan does. He is a taskmaster, and his job is to make sure you get nothing from your labor. Years of waste. And that's what Laban would have done, to send him away with nothing. God has seen my affliction, the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. And so Jacob finally confronts his boss. And then they build an agreement. They're going to agree to disagree. They're going to draw a line in the sand. But it's going to be an agreement built on a lack of trust. Verse 43, Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. This flock is my flock, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have borne? Now therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and he set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones. They made a heap and they ate there on the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sedahutha. I totally butchered that. But Jacob called it Gilead. And both of them are calling it a place of witness a place that's essentially a boundary marker. And then it says here that Laban, verse 48, said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid. Also, Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. If you lay a hand on my daughters, you've heard that, right? If you do anything to afflict my daughters, Or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see that God is witness between you and me. And then Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap and here is this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you. And you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, And the God of their father judged between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. That's the fear of the Lord. And Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned to his place. And so this is a family division. And as they divide, they make a mizpah. Now, you might have seen necklaces with two sides of this. Um, And they they make this beautiful, and a friend of mine actually was marrying a man who already had a daughter. And they wanted to make an agreement about, you know, how they would treat one another. And basically, they were trying to make a covenant of love. Like, hey, you're going to be like a daughter to me, and I want to be like a mom to you. 
I, I don't want us to have this stepdaughter-mother relationship. And so they asked my pastor, like, could we do this as part of the ceremony? And they were quoting this passage. And my pastor was like, absolutely not. And it offended them. But he said, if this is the reason, this, this is like the worst passage to base a relationship off of. Because this is an agreement to not be around each other anymore. This is an agreement to say, hey, I don't trust you, you don't trust me, this heap of rocks, don't pass it, and if I'm not around, God's going to strike you dead if you mess with me. You know, and it's, it's, it's almost like a curse, it's not a blessing. And so as they're making this agreement, it was because neither one of them trusted the other. And so if you're ever trying to make a mispah with somebody, uh, let it be known that the scripture says the, the whole point is that you don't trust them. That's not an agreement. That's, that's not a blessing. It wasn't a positive covenant. It was literally, they were building, in a way, a stone wall between one another. Uh, you stay over there, I'll stay over here, we'll be fine. It might be like a Cardinals and a Cubs fan eating meals together. Like, they're doing it, but they hate each other, you know, and, and maybe less so from the St. Louis side. Maybe I'm biased. But one time I went to Chicago wearing a Cardinals hat. I didn't, I just had a hat. Uh, I'm not as big of fans as much as you guys are. Don't, don't hate me. Uh, but I was just wearing a hat and I was on the L train. And this guy, I was like a 14-year-old kid, starts cussing me like a dog. He was just going off on me about, oh, the Cubbies are going to kill you guys this year. You Cardinals fans, good grief. And, and, and of course, other things were added to that to spice it up a little bit. Uh, but he meant it. Like, you Cardinals fans can stay in St. Louis and we'll be up here. And, uh, and so I don't know where that came from other than to say it is an agreement to disagree. Uh, the modern-day equivalent of this agreement would be a restraining order. And I don't know about you guys, but I'll make restraining orders with people that I like so much. I don't have any restraining orders against me that I know of, and I've never made one, but good grief. Um, It's basically signing off and putting a period at the end of someone's relationship. And so that's the last time we'll hear of Laban. Um, But all that to say, um, division in this family is going to be good because it's going to cause them to go back to the land God promised them And as they're fruitful in the land, they're going to have to still deal with the consequences of a broken relationship, but they'll be set free to move on to worship one God, Yahweh. And uh, so, Father, we thank you for the family of Jacob. We thank you that uh, by faith and by promise, not by flesh, we've been made uh, partakers in this family. We thank you for what 2 Corinthians 5 says, that we are now ministers, not of broken relationships, but of reconciliation. Uh, a covenant made where broken relationships can be healed in Christ. And at the same time, we thank you that Jesus makes that possible as he has broken down the wall. Laban and Jacob are building walls. Jesus, you broke down the middle wall of separation. And now we can enter in fully not into just a haphazard relationship with you, but one that's based upon trust and the promises and the blood of Jesus cleansing us of all unrighteousness. So, Father, I give you thanks for that. And I pray, Father, that we would continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of you 
and that our lives would match up with what we believe and have experienced in Jesus. And I pray it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.